rarely do you, as a young college student, decide to take a semester off and move to Orlando to work for Mickey Mouse and pick customer service. You want to be in entertainment. You want to work with characters. Maybe there was a favorite ride that you had growing up and you're hoping that you get to see behind the scenes for that ride. And so you, you sign up for the Walt Disney World internship program hoping that you're going to have some exotic job that you're going to be able to do every day. And maybe, just maybe, all of your hopes and dreams will come true and you'll become one of the princesses or you'll become one of the Imagineers that designs the newest Star Wars land that is coming and is going to be amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to pilot the Millennium Falcon. (laughs) It's going to be pretty cool. My hopes and dreams are to be Chewbacca one day, but I don't know if I'm going to be tall enough. But as she had filled out that application and sent it in, she received the affirmation that she had made the program. She moves in sets up and is told you will be in customer service you'll be one of the cast members who is going to go through the park and you will set up a little portable stand and you are going to ask families children dads what is one thing they wish the Disney company would provide for you that they weren't already You're going to ask them about what they don't like. You're going to ask them what they could fix. You are going to ask them over and over how Mickey Mouse has disappointed you and your family. You are going to hear repeatedly how fathers are going to say, I just wish it was cheaper. Took out a second mortgage on my house to bring my kids here, and we stood in line for three hours for Avatar. Not that I wrote that down anywhere. Or that that really happened. But Danica was going to stand in her blue button-down shirt that said, cast member Danica, and ask over and over, how have we disappointed you? And can Mickey make it right? It's his 90th birthday. And so Disney has gone through this process of wondering what they could do and change and develop and we were there recently and as we walked down Main Street USA toward... Cinderella's castle, my youngest daughter started to talk about how it's still disappointing because one of her favorite moments growing up was to see this show that was on the castle front court because it was the one and only place at that time that she could see her favorite character, which is Wendy from Peter Pan. She loved Wendy. We're not sure why she loved Wendy. We're not sure why she connected to Wendy. But she could see Wendy in this show. And Wendy saw her. Just about every time that Brinkley would be in the crowd, she's either on my shoulders or her mommy's shoulders, and she's wearing the blue Wendy dress because we know how Disney works. And if you can stand out as a Disney character, they will give you free stuff in some ways. You feel like you're justifying what you're paying for this trip. And so we would dress her up in a blue dress and she would sit on my shoulders and she would wave at Peter and she would wave at Wendy and Wendy would wave back and sometimes Wendy would notice someone dressed like her because no one ever really dresses like Wendy from Peter Pan at Disney World. They dress like Anna and Elsa over and over and over like there are just Elsas everywhere because Frozen has just taken over the world. 
But there usually aren't Wendy's, and so Wendy would stand out in the crowd, and the Wendy on the stage would wave to her and point and dance and stay in character. And then sometimes, a cast member that was kind of dressed like Danica would walk over to our family and whisper to my wife and say, Wendy wants to meet little Wendy. And we would go back into this private thing, and then there would be Wendy and Peter, and they would talk and hang out with Brinkley from like four, five, six. So this little girl is getting to meet her character that she gets to hang out with all the time in in her dreams and now she's seeing her in real life and it's all great and then they cancel the show and as we're walking down Main Street there's Danica in her blue shirt and she walks over to Sarah and says do you have a minute for me to ask you a question we're doing this thing and she goes through the spiel and then says is there anything that Mickey could be doing differently for your family. And Sarah and Brinkley are standing there. And almost on cue, the music for the show that replaced the show that Wendy was in started at the castle. And Sarah said, oh, well, we just missed that show, the show that used to be on there. And she starts to tell Danica about Wendy and little Wendy and how they connected and Brinkley starts to chime into the conversation and say, yeah, and I met her and we got to dance together and we would talk and Peter would try to make fun of me and pick on me while we were back there because there were two Wendy's and she would tell a little bit more of the story and Danica's going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and you can see in her mind that she's thinking, I, I can't solve this problem. Like, I don't even know that Wendy works here anymore. She left Neverland for sure. And then she comes up with the conclusion that has always been told to Brinkley anytime that anyone has talked to her about Wendy. And I know, at 3 o'clock there's going to be a parade. And Wendy's in the parade. Well, Wendy is like 50 feet in the air at the top of a ship. Barely looking down and maybe waving during that parade because we know that. And So she's like, that, maybe that will solve your problem. And Sarah and Brinkley are both generous in their responses. Yeah, awesome. And at that point we're feeling really bad for Danica because it's like, you. that's a terrible job. All day, every day, just asking people on their vacation what's not going well for you. And then getting responses back where you recognize that you have intern pay and intern access to intern resources. Going, I, I can't go backstage and like dress up like Wendy and pop back out and be like, fixed it. Here I am. She doesn't have a lot of access to a lot of resources, but her job says you're just supposed to ask these questions and then go over and take note and write some things down. That's her job. So the awkwardness ends as we walk away and go past the show that my wife and daughter are boycotting. They won't even listen to it because Wendy's not in it. They're like an active boycott at Magic Kingdom, like, no, we're not listening to it. We must walk away from the show. We cannot show Disney World that we will even entertain this. Do not let Finn see it. We can't let him like it. A complete rebellion. It's happening in the happiest place on earth. And we go away, and then we come back because there's a dance party, and everyone in my family dances but me. So I get to record it, right? Like, that's my job. It's good that I don't dance. So as we walk back, this dance party happens where you get to dance with characters, and everyone's around, and the dance party ends... And as we're getting ready to pack up all of our stuff, because we have three children and a stroller and all of the stuff that you bring if you were going to climb Mount Everest, you must take it also to Magic Kingdom in order to survive the day. So I'm piecing everything back together, and we hear this voice, and it's Danica. 
And she says, oh, I'm so glad I caught you, Brinkley. I just haven't been able to stop thinking about you. And we turn around and we see her and she's holding a like Disney World bag in her hand. And she says, I wasn't sure if I was going to get to see you again, but I, you told me your story about Wendy, and it really just connected with me because I grew up, and she told a little story about herself. And then she opens the box and hands it to Brinkley, and Brinkley opens it, and inside is a snow globe of Peter and Wendy. And she says, I can't bring Wendy back into the Magic Kingdom, but I thought you might want to take this home so that you can remember all of the memories that you had with Wendy because that really connected with me. And so Brinkley, shell-shocked, is looking at the snow globe. And Sarah and I are looking at the snow globe going, huh, that wasn't, wasn't what Sarah's intent was when she shared the story. Like, it wasn't to get free stuff out of this young lady, it was just to answer a question, just to say, oh yeah, we missed this. But for some reason, Danica didn't see her job as just an internship. She saw it as an opportunity. It was an opportunity to work with the community that she was employed by. And thankfully, she had resources. She was like, how do I give something to this little girl that I connected with, and we ended up with a snow globe. I think we have a picture of Brinkley and her friend Danica. I know our, she's all dressed out, right? Like she's a super cool little kid. That was for the dance party. And as we walked away in that second meeting, I'm not sure who was moved more, Danica or Brinkley, in the moment, because for just a, about five minutes... Something that seemed like a maybe mindless intern job had turned into some meaningful work to her. I like metaphors like that. I like stories like that. I like stories where I get to see someone else go, you know what, I could just do this, but what if I took it and I did something more? So I was excited about this week's sermon when the idea is to move from how God is reconciling all things, which is what we talked about last week, and that if we slow down, both in our own lives and as a church, if we slow down, we can wait on God to reconcile all things into this week's topic, which is that we would be cooperating with God in his reconciling mission. That God is actually moving to reconcile the world through the work that we do, through the mission that we've been given, through the activities that we participate in. And I love the thought of today's message because I'm actually really addicted to work. And I struggle with it. This week at one of our staff meetings, someone was like, what do you do for fun? I'm like, yeah, I play soccer. To, like, I have to be active. I have to accomplish something even just to enjoy something. If I'm home, we have 15 minutes, and I look at the counter, and there's a dish that hasn't been washed. I must wash the dish. I must go outside and pick up the sticks. In my, I, I'm, I just can't, I can't really, I don't really sit still well. If I'm sitting still, there's a podcast in my ear or a book that I'm listening to at the same time. I don't like, I like to be active almost to a problem. So my first thought was, yay, work. I can teach about overworking our church. It'll be awesome. 
But it's under the context of slow church and slowing down. And what I recognize is that I often have opportunities in the name of Jesus to think like Danica thought. But I'm moving too fast to accomplish the next thing. So I miss a moment to work with God to reconcile through my work. Because I'm so caught up in the next minute that I could accomplish something else in. And so I want to just dive in for a minute into some of the ways that God has affirmed that we are created to work. And maybe some ways that we could slow down to join him in his work. Because the landing today isn't about snow globes in the magic kingdom. But it is about an intern who knew more about a moment than I did for sure. God has always been about his reconciling work. It started in the beginning, in the first narrative of the story of God. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27 and 28, it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that crawls upon the earth. Key aspect of this very first story Prior to fall, work existed. It wasn't painful. It wasn't troublesome. It was part of the creation that we were invited into. The second narrative in the story of God is the actual creation of man. So the first one is creation of the world, and God inserts this part of where he created man in the context of creating the world, and and by man I mean humanity. By creating humanity in the context of the world, he created it with work as part of the intentionality of it. But not burdensome, toiling, troublesome work. Work that seemingly would be adventurous and enjoyable. And then the second narrative in the story of God is the one of the actual creation of humanity. Of how God is speaking humanity into existence and what the intentionality of that looks like. And the key takeaways are that he spoke creation into existence and then he spoke humanity into existence in his image. And he is specific about placing the image of God on the image of humanity. And then he says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So he spoke humanity into, into existence through his image and gave humanity work within the same breaths. So work is tied to who we are and our identity In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Six days you will labor and do all your work. And then it starts to tease up a conversation around the Sabbath under an assumption that the other six days we're going to be working. Now, work has changed a little bit between the first two narratives and then the Ten Commandments narrative because there is a third story about the fall of creation and that the response to that fall is that things here are going to be more difficult. There was no need for reconciliation with God prior to that third narrative. In the creation of the world and in the creation of humanity, we were working in a healthy relationship with the creator. Something happened, things fell apart, and since that time, since the fall and that narrative where evil entered into our story and conflict separated us from the creator and working one with him, all things need reconciled, including the work that we do. But the aspect that we were created for work didn't change. It was just going to be harder. 
And so we have written into even the Ten Commandments, you're going to work for six days and you are going to take a Sabbath rest on the seventh because work is hard, work is troublesome, work is burdensome, rest in me. We could end there and say, well, that's great because like, we kind of live in a, a new story because Jesus brings in a new narrative and everything changed. But after the Jesus narrative in Hebrews chapter 4, the author says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from him, which is really an affirmation of what was being said in the old covenant. It takes hold in the new of saying, right? I know this used to work, then there was Jesus, and then any time in that story, like when it used to work in the Old Covenant, and then there's Jesus, we always have to ask the question, is it still supposed to work after Jesus? Did he change that, or did he affirm that, did he fulfill that, and did he transform that, or did he continue it? Before Jesus, there's work and rest. There's Jesus, who practiced work and rest. After Jesus, he says, there's going to be continued work and rest. And so it's an invitation as part of his narrative is that there is a balance of work and rest. So the landing, God made us in his image to do good work. If we expand that out, then the church is actually the embodiment of the place where we do work or the neighborhood, the neighborhood household, which is actually... Oikos is the word for a household. It's used over 1,600 times in the Septuagint. It's multiple, multiple times to illustrate that the place in which and the aspect in which work happens or neighborhood exists or community is defined is through this idea of first century household. It's this idea of work happens within the construct of us building family together, not building institution together. Institution makes it really easy to go fast church. How many things can we get to as many people as possible in the most efficient way? Households cause us to slow down. And the invitation is what does it look like to work? If the church is the neighborhood household, what does it look like to work with God in this world? We're going to spend a a few minutes in Luke chapter 5 seeing how Jesus partnered work with his kingdom mission to talk through three things. That we are called to cooperate with Christ. We are invited to reconcile our failures. And third, that we are invited to live on mission. That work is defined by those three things. Cooperating with Christ, reconciling our failures, and living on mission. Before I dive into scripture, that's the beauty that I found in this is that it means then we could work anywhere and everywhere. There is no like sacred job and unsacred job. There is invitation. Can you cooperate with Jesus where you work or in what you do? Can you reconcile failure, either on your own or of others, where you are and in what you do? And can you live on the mission of what the gospel invites us to do, where you are and by what you do? The beauty of this is that it removes shame from any job title. I listened to several messages this week on work and the church, and I noticed one thing continually. 
women were always degraded. In every message that I listened to, the, oh, and I need to bring you in is, and if you are also a mom who stays at home, like those like qualifiers were put in every sermon that I listened to. In order to cover work, it was like, so if you're in tech, or if you're a CEO, or if you're working in an, as an engineer, or if you are a stay-at-home mom, like it, it's like, why, why, why? Because in the message, there wasn't a belief that you were any of the other things. It's this added, or, or, we need to make sure that you're here too. It was interesting for me to hear sermon after sermon that had to make sure that that like, oh yeah, ladies, we see you too. We don't want you to carry shame if you're a stay-at-home mom. I'm like, that's really interesting. And so I started to create my own list of like, okay, well, I know Echo a little bit. And then I erased it every time and I just thought, here's the deal. Whatever you're working at is probably pretty cool because so far here, I've only met pretty cool people, very creative people, very intuitive people. The intellect here pushes way past my own understanding of anything. I grew up working in tobacco patches and hanging things so that people could smoke them later. Yeah. You're welcome. And milking other things so that we could have Cereal that we don't have to put water on. Friday reference. And so I understand here the creativity, the intellect, the drive, the accomplishment, the I don't know what's yet that's in this room. The I'm just getting started. The value. So I didn't create a list. So just no, like I have no list. It's just whatever we do. We get to ask the quest, these questions. I think that's where we find Jesus in Luke 5 is finding people in the whatever we do. One day, in verse 1, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat, if I am Simon, I am beyond frustrated in this moment. My personality is looking at someone going, why are you touching my stuff? Why are you in my boat? And where are you taking it? I just cleaned it. I just got those little fish crackers out of the car seat that are in the back of the boat because Finn wanted to go with me. And now you're getting him a boat and taking it back out. Later in the story, we actually see Simon was out all night fishing. So he's coming in from work. Have you ever had that moment where you finished a 12-hour day? And you come in and you think, laptop closed, paper written, blog post up, job finished, work clothes off. And then a significant other or a child or a cousin or your neighbor sends you a text and says, I heard you're good with heaters. Tools back out, boots back on. I'm trying 
to help my daughter with algebra, can you come over because I'm going to kill my daughter. Right now the math is not working out and the equation ends with only one of us alive. Do you have a minute? Can you talk? That you finish the day and you think you've packed all the work up and then someone calls for a favor. Because it's February, I have a couple of friends who work in the tax world. And I'm always hearing stories from them that they're like, yeah, there's like all of these people that actually pay me to do this work. And then there are all the Christians around me. And they just send me an email and they're like, hey, I'm doing my own taxes, but can you answer a question for me? He's like, yeah, I kind of closed the laptop on that today, but one more thing. And Jesus is the one more thing for Simon in this moment that he's walking. There's a crowd of people and Jesus looks and says, I'm going to teach the crowd. I've got to get a little bit of distance. They can't hear me in the back. I've got to sw- slide out and get some space. Oh, there's a boat. Let me stand in it and let's go. What's impressive to me in this aspect is that Peter is not me, like Simon is not me, and instead he cooperates with Jesus in the work that he can't even see that is beginning or that he may not have the energy for, but he starts by cooperating with Christ, by getting in the boat with him. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Unbelievable exhaustion. This is not Simon in his best moment. This is not him waking up in the morning ready to go to work. This is him having eaten the snack for the day, gone through the lunch, ready to go home, ready to pass out. And not only has this man said, push out and let me borrow your boat so I can teach this crowd. But this rabbi, who doesn't smell like fish, so he's probably not grown up here, is now saying, hey, I know you did this all night, and by the look of your nets, it didn't go well. Let's go out. Let's fish. You know what's a great idea? Clock out, and then let's go, let's go work for free. And by the way, I'm not a fisherman. I didn't grow up doing this. My dad's a builder. He worked with stone. And my, my real dad created the universe. So do you want to go? <laughs> Simon answered, Master, dear sir, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Continued cooperation. He didn't just cooperate when he thought Jesus was going to do what Jesus was good at, he actually cooperated when Jesus wanted to do what Simon was good at. He said, just because you said so, all right, let's do it. We've done it all night. Just, I just want to make sure you know, before you like, walked into my boat, that's what I'd been doing. And there are no fish. But because you said so, I just heard all that teaching that you said. I wonder what was in that sermon in those moments that moved Simon to go, but because of what you just said and because you're asking me to go out, I'm in. Let's do this together. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, 
I'm a sinful man. The planet responds, interesting. Instead of celebration of, oh, how great you are, we just got fish. And there's the second boat coming out and Peter looking at the second boat and going, look what we just did. He doesn't claim ownership of the act. He realizes that he is standing in the presence of someone that is way different and isn't from here and that it stirs in him his brokenness. It stirs in him his lack of worth and it stirs in him all of the things that make him feel unholy, unworthy, unvaluable. Not to mention that Jesus has just completely rocked his identity as a fisherman. Peter without Jesus came home with nothing. Peter with Jesus needed to call a second boat. Existential crisis for Simon in the boat. I am not worthy of this. You're not even trained and you can do significantly more than I could do and I'm exhausted and I just want to go home because I'm worthless. And Jesus' response in Peter's longing for reconciliation of his failure is don't be afraid. Don't worry, Peter. I knew what kind of fisherman you were before I got in your boat. I knew what kind of person you were before I I chose this boat. I could have chose the other boat that belonged to another guy. Peter, I got in your boat. I choose you. I wanted to work with you. Not because of who you are, but because of who you can be. Don't be afraid, Simon, of your sinfulness because I'm with you. You don't have to be scared of what's in your past and your presence. I'm with you. He invites Peter into the reconciliation of his failure by saying don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of where it hasn't worked out and what you haven't done because I'm with you. And then he invites Peter to live on mission. And he says, now on you will catch men, which is a really, really weird phrase in 2019. To catch people feels like manipulative to me I think in our wording like it feels like the goal is to I'm going to help you grab them steal them from whatever they were doing like pull them in manipulate them into what we believe like I yes yeah that like I, I read it and I go are we so are we still about the catching of men or is this just Jesus playing on words and I and I hope that it's the essence of Jesus saying, I'm going to use fisherman language for you, Peter, because you are a fisherman. I'm not now ordaining that the church only uses fisherman language as we move forward, that our job is to catch people. Right? He's saying, your net of purpose was empty before me. Your net of purpose was overflowing when I got in your boat. We're going to change your net of purpose to overflowing. Here's some language that you understand. We're going to have an overflowing number of people. 
when we cast out the nets and say, who wants to come in? Peter, we're going to change your life and the mission of where we're going. But it's still going to require the work. I've heard so many fishermen's stories and how Jesus is inviting us to be fisher of men. And I don't relate. I never liked fishing. My grandparents had a farm and we would take breaks sometimes and go to a lake and they would fish. And I was bored. I wanted to like kick a ball or throw rocks or hit things or climb things. But I don't know. It, I couldn't do it. I don't want to fish for men. I don't want to catch men. But I do whatever, I do want whatever, whatever I keep waking up in the morning and trying to go and do by myself, whatever keeps coming back empty, whatever I keep like investing my family's resources in, whatever I keep spending their time on and investing our livelihood on, I'm really desperate for that to come back full. I don't, know, I don't know if that's how your house is, but I'd really like to know that the 12 hours of exhaustion brought some fullness to somebody else's life, that it mattered, that it meant something, and that it wasn't just an empty boat ride into the dark that left me cleaning empty pieces of nylon. Jesus is inviting us to cooperate with him, to reconcile with him, and to live on mission with him. I constantly say that what I believe influences who I am. Peter's belief system changed that day. I also am constantly telling myself that I will tell people who I am by what I do. But this week I, I added to that and I wanted you just to think about these. You'll tell people who you are by what you do, by what you create, by what you build and what you teach. And those aren't shame-based statements or challenges, they're invitations. If you're naturally a teacher... You're joining Jesus in his mission by teaching. It doesn't matter what. Just by showing someone else that they could know and learn too. If you are a builder, you're joining Jesus in his work by building or repairing. You can replace the word with repairing here. By building or repairing, and it can be a physical structure, or it could be the emotions or intellect of someone who's been broken. If you are a builder or a repairer, you are joining Jesus in his work by building and repairing things that have been broken. If you are a creator, what and who you create when you speak, sing, dance, write, paint, design, draft, What you create writes hope into existence for those of us who weren't able to see it before. And it gives a different sight line for us to know something that maybe we didn't know, to see something that we didn't see, or to start something that before you started it didn't exist. 
By being a creator, you invite us to build and to teach. But all of us are invited to do. From the beginning, we've been invited to do. To act on behalf of wherever God is moving whenever he is moving. And so, we walked away with a stroller with one more bag on it. And now I had to carry a snow globe and keep that from breaking in the happiest place on earth. Yay for the Sherpa. A couple of hours later, we parked the stroller and got in line with some family friends who had joined us for the day. They had decided to surprise us in Magic Kingdom. They didn't they didn't have tickets, but they found a way to get in, and we've established some friendships with different people in Florida since we go there more times than we stay here. We're there a lot. It's weird. But this single mom and her daughter jumped in line with us. And she and Sarah are having a conversation about home ownership and rentals, and she's like, yeah, I just started this new job. And I came home to an astronomical water bill. I guess something had broken underground. Because I'd been in another city for an entire week, I didn't know it. So I came home to a really wet backyard and a really high water bill. And I thought, the last thing this young mom needs is one more bill. And I thought about Danica, and I thought about a snow globe. And I looked at Sarah, and I was like, hey, does she have Venmo? And Sarah started to tear up, and she's like, I love us. And then we rode some mad teacups, and I tried to spin my oldest daughter out of control. Because sometimes we get to work in line for a ride, and sometimes we get to work while sitting at a coffee shop, and other times it's a cubicle. But we are invited to cooperate with Jesus in his work because we have no idea how much an intern giving a snow globe to an eight-year-old can help pay a water bill. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you join us in the work that we're doing this week and show us where you're already at work. Give us the resources to share. Give us the energy to get up in the morning and to do the work you've called us to. And if we're not in any work that's good right now, give us the courage to stop what we've been doing and to join you where you are. Give us the faith and the resources to go where you're going. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.